So tonight is uh, kind of a special night where I get my, um, my girlfriend slash wife slash baby's mama uh, up here on stage with us. Uh, for those of you guys who are new, um, what we've been doing is, what's that? How close are we going to get? We're getting real close. Okay. We're going to cuddle this whole time. <laughs> Everyone's going to throw up in their mouth a little. I feel like you should be off center a little. What do y'all think? We good? Okay, good. Um, so, uh, are we nervous? What if we mess up tonight? I mean, what if we mess up and everyone leaves the faith? I don't know, babe. Okay. I really don't know. So anyway, um, <laughs> I tease her. She doesn't public speak, um, and yet she is um, one of the most articulate and wise women I know. Uh, and so we've been going through this series on the shape of love, and the whole idea the last four weeks has been we're going to push into some of the areas uh, where the word love, that super cliche uh, kind of term that gets thrown around a lot, has maybe gotten hijacked, and that, and that shape of what real biblical deep love looks like has kind of gotten perverted in some ways or distorted in some ways. And so the last four weeks, we've been kind of taking chunks out of that and saying, okay, this is what it looks like, and, and this is the lie that sometimes we believe is what love looks like, but here's the truth of what it should be looking like. And so... The last four weeks we've had, uh, you guys have been texting in questions, and, uh, and we have got a lot of questions um, that we, you guys sent our way, and so Danielle, in her wisdom and godliness, is going to help me uh, walk through those questions, partly because I thought it'd be fun, and it gives me an excuse to hang out with her more, prepping for the sermon, which was good. We kissed a little. It was awesome, guys. Um, <laughs> Uh, but here's what I, and I shouldn't need to say this, but I'm going to go ahead and say this. For one, we're not going to be able to get to all the questions. Like, there's just no way we're going to be able to get to everything that you guys sent in. We're going to do our best, but there's just no way we're going to get to it. Um, but then also, and so for that reason, I would just say, man, keep walking with us, right? Like, if we didn't get to your question, but it really is, you know, weighing you down, then come and talk to us and do life with us and come and hang out with myself or my wife. If you're a girl, then, you know, go ahead and, you know, say, hey, let's go grab coffee together, that kind of thing. Um, or she's going on the Belize trip. Just go on the Belize trip, and you can sit next to her on the bus every day um, and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, the other thing I want to say is that we are not the authority, right? I don't want to stand up here, and I, I think this goes without saying, but we've been married for almost 10 years, and we love Jesus, and uh, my wife's incredibly godly, and I'm paid to study the Bible, and my degree was in studying the Bible. Um, but even having said that, we're not the authority through everything and we don't believe that we're just this authoritative, we're going to give you the right answer. We want you to take... Well, you're not. But... Uh, she, oh, okay. oh uh, good one. <laughs> See, she's warming up. I like I'm this. I'm warming up. Um, <laughs> uh, what we want you to do is to run everything we say through the grid of Scripture. We believe we have the authority in Scripture, right? We believe that this is authoritative for us. This is true. And so um, we want to just challenge you guys as we're talking, as we're kind of giving commentary from our experience and what we see in Scripture um, we want, we want you to always run everything we say, regardless of if it's a Q&A sermon or not, to run it through that, that lens. Okay, so having said that, we ready? Yeah. Are you guys ready? Yeah. Okay, here we go. Um, question. So question one uh, was, how do you know when to tell your significant other that you love them? Ooh. Good question. Good question. Am I going? I'm you first? Go. Yeah, okay. you go first. Okay. Um, that's a great question. The L word. The L-bomb. Um, when to drop it. I think you drop it when you know you can back it up. When you know there's going to be some form of commitment or action to back up your words. Um, 
I think it's important not to rush to say it. And I think there are a lot of other things you can say instead of the L word. Yeah. You know? Like when I first told Danielle that I loved her, she said, thank you. I didn't just say you thank you. She said thank you. That's what she said. I did say thank you. That's what she said. I, it was this amazing <laughs> moment, and I was like weeping. And I think my shirt was off, and I was like standing in the rain. <laughs> I don't remember exactly. Oh that might God. not have been the scenario, but no, I said, I love it. you. He did tell me he loved me. And See, she said, the thing thank is, you. I said, thank you, dot, dot, dot. I adore you, uh, is what I said. I blanked out after you yeah. said thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't it remember anything out. after that. I don't. <laughs> I but just, no, my world but crumbled. seriously, I had said it before to somebody, and it was very immature. Um, relationship, and I needed to work on my definition of what love meant, and I didn't want to just throw it around That's and good. say it back to you. I needed to know that I really meant it. You're a part of some couples counseling. I didn't really, I, that's good. <laughs> what? I wish you would have told me that earlier. Oh. <laughs> I've been carrying that around for 10, that's a mature <laughs> answer right there. Yeah. Okay. The last 10 years. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I honestly, I really didn't mind that. I do think that the idea of this question, when do you tell your significant other that you love them, um, when you're ready to sh back that up, right? Like the whole point of this series is, uh, I think, speaking into the idea that we have this misshapen love, that we've thrown around that word, we use that word, and so when we think love, so often we don't really think what real love is. We think, well, my dad told me he loved me but treated me this way, and so that shapes the way of how I receive and what I think that should look like or I had this really unhealthy relationship, and we use that word, and so it gets misshapen. And so I would say, don't use it until you're really ready to show it, which are all the things we've been talking about, this idea of sacrifice, uh, steadfastness, that you're not going anywhere, that it's not, oh, I love you, but you know, in a couple months, I might not anymore. That's not deep, mature love that we're seeing backed up by the Bible. So uh, I think that's good. And also, um, I think we throw around, those of you guys who are around Christians a lot, which can be annoying. I get that. It really can. We annoy, I annoy myself at times. But if you do life where you're surrounded by a bunch of Christians, we throw out this term, this phrase, guard your heart, right? Which is so churchy and just makes me want to shower and we throw it around all the time. And it's just this little Christian-y thing we say. But I think the sentiment behind the idea of us telling each other, man, guard your heart or guard her heart or whatever, the sentiment, as cheesy as that is, the sentiment really is to protect those expectations and to protect those expectations in each other that if you're in a, a romantic relationship that you are helping protect her expectations or she is helping protect uh, his expectations of where that's going to lead and where that's going to go. Can you um, jump in to that? So in that way. Um, and I think guarding your heart or other ways that scripture says, I think Proverbs 4 something says to keep your heart with all vigilance or diligence. Mm -hmm. um, that's where life comes from. And so I think if it, it doesn't just apply to relationships, it's if yeah. you're single, if you're dating, if you're married, it's a command for all of us to make sure that we're just keeping watch over our heart, what images we're taking in, what we're putting in our minds, even just going to go there, like Pinterest planning, ladies, <laughs> planning the wazoo out of okay, your wedding. So I didn't know this was a thing, but some ladies in here are like, planning their wedding that like they don't there's just like hey in 10 years when I get married and that's a thing right I just mean like when it's not even on the radar yet but it's like oh that's a good idea I'm gonna save is that, that really for later thing, ladies do y'all do that is there some of that that happens yeah that's that's awesome it's weird though that's weird it is. or you're like oh good idea for when I have kids later so I'm sure. just gonna put this there and it, there's like not harm in those ideas but where does it take your heart and sure 
even pornography is yeah. something else where totally. it applies to everyone oh, at all stages of your life. To so much of us in the room that have just been saturated with, with images that shapes what we're, you know, that shapes kind of that expectation and that guarding of the heart isn't just within the context of relationships. I think that's good. Um, okay, so next question. Is there a difference between the true definition of love we have towards Jesus compared to a companion? You're taking that one. Okay. Um, yes, I would say yes. Good. I think <laughs> I think our love for God should far outweigh our love for friends or spouse or family. Um, but it's from that place of loving God, that deep love that you have for Jesus, that you're able to give love to others. Um, there is uh, Luke 14, 26. I'm going to read it real quick. Um, Jesus is just talking to a big crowd, and he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And that is kind of a funny scripture because he's not really telling us to hate our families. But I think it is in comparison to how much we love God, that's how he's trying to show us how much yeah. it should outweigh our love of others. Yeah, he's just juxtapositioning this radical, radical love that we should have in Christ and, and all things in comparison look that way. Um, obviously, Jesus isn't saying, hey, hate people. It doesn't go in the context of yeah. everything else he says and, and did his, his whole life. Um, that's good. Uh, so uh, an, another one, um, and kind of in the same vein too, looking at kind of the word of love. Uh, we'll put it up on the screen. So if we are supposed to love each other and the Lord with a deep, change-provoking agape, if you weren't here, agape is the Greek word uh, that we talked about of love, that kind of agape love, then is it inappropriate how we as a cultural culture use the word love too much? In other words, when we leave good friends after a day together uh, or a significant other, we say, bye, I love you, and this seems like a sort of philo, which is, again, another Greek word if you weren't here for that sermon, uh, it's sort of a philo love. Um, so good question. It goes, it actually goes on. He says, or she says, whoever texted this in, says, somehow should we be expressing our thankfulness or good company without losing the real meaning of agape love in our lives? Disclaimer, I'm sorry if this made absolutely no sense. Uh, <laughs> good. It I, makes sense. It does. It does it make sense. sense. I think the idea, I think what you're asking is, man, are we overusing this word, yeah. right? Are we saying like, oh, I love you. And it's like, oh, I love tacos. And oh, I love you, Josh. And oh, I love you, Danielle. And it's like, well, I really do Thank love Josh. God. But yeah, she gets mad when I say that about Josh. Um, right, like, what it, are we overusing that word? Is it inappropriate for us to do that? And I think um, how I would approach that answer is no. I think, I think we should be really mindful of how we use it and thoughtful about it. But I don't know that certainly in, from where I see biblically, um, our word love in English just doesn't have the diversity that maybe some of the Greek language did. And so they had four, you know, they had all these words and the Hebrew and the Old Testament is all these different words that meant different aspects. And we just have this one and I think we have to be wise in interpreting the correct context True. of it. Yeah, um, and I don't think we should ever shy away from appreciating people. Yeah. So yeah. you can use you other can use words. It. Although I, I would say, <laughs> or you can use love. I would say um, when you use it and if you're leaving a group of friends and you say, I love you, I think if you are a believer, you should really mean that. Yeah. I don't think you should use it. Um, I think we should use it liberally because I think our love should be a liberal thing that we're willing to give to lots of people. And I think if you tell a group of friends, hey, I love you, but you're not willing to lay down your life for them, like, I, I think you probably shouldn't use it. 
My hope is that you would be willing to do that. My hope is that you do have a mature love because you are a believer. And so, yeah, it sounds flippant, and you say, I love you guys, but really, do you? And so, um, yeah, I'd say use it, but I'd also say back it up. Um, So, yeah, I hope that's helpful. Maybe not at all. All right, next question. Um, How do we help friends who are caught in the jumping from relationship to relationship, bed to bed, looking for love? I've been trying to direct this friend towards God's love for three years, and I don't know what else I can do to be used by God in this way. Any tips? Great question. I think... um, I talked about this in, in one of the sermons of so often if we misinterpret what love is, we're looking for it in kind of this constant way. And I think some of us in this room have really struggled to try to find it kind of relationship to relationship and they become these really shallow, maybe just physical relationships and we're not finding it. We're just bouncing and bouncing and bouncing and there's this pattern of unhappiness. Yeah, How th- do we speak into that? Yeah, I think this question is good. It's hard, I think, to carry those burdens. I mean, three years... It's a long time, and it's hard to not get impatient with um, friends who are in these patterns. But um, honestly, prayer will keep you from frustration for those people. So I think my tip would be actually really and truly committing to pray for this person. Um, Or if you know someone like this in your life, like, setting an alarm on your phone that goes off every day or every time you brush your teeth in the morning, you're going to pray for that person, like getting real practical and doing it and committing to it. Because I think what we're really wanting to see from this person is not just uh, behavior modification. We don't want them to just stop going bed to bed, right? We want them to actually fall in love with Jesus. And that's what we need the power of God to change their hearts. We can't. Yeah, absolutely. And so prayer is huge. Yeah, I think that's, um, I think, you know, we might see um, friends of ours, or maybe it's in our own life, right, that we're just struggling with kind of this habitual thing that really isn't glorifying to God. It's not really what God has designed. Um, The solution, like Danielle said, isn't behavior modification. If uh, if you're in this room and and you're not a Christian and you're just checking this out or whatever, and I know there's, there's plenty, I mean, that always happens each week, and we love that. Like, you belong here, you are in the right place. And I think one of the things that most likely you might think of when you think of Christianity is, okay, Christianity is a framework of you've got to do these things in order to kind of have God's approval or God's love or all those things. And that's not the gospel. That's what we as Christians so often project, but that's not actually the truth of what Christianity is. It's about heart change that then leads to obedience. It's about God getting hold of us, loving us completely and fully and securely and having this relationship with him even in the midst of our sin, even when we were broken and far from him and bringing us close to him. And so even, um, even that idea of, well, man, how do I get them to change their behavior? Man, that's, not our, my, that's not my goal. You know, if someone is um, struggling with being a serial womanizer, my goal is not that they won't, become a, they won't be a womanizer. My goal is they fall in love with Jesus. That's my goal. That's, that's, that is what I want for them. I want them to fall in love with Jesus. Now, if they fall in love with Jesus, I think that's gonna change behaviors in their life. If they are, it will. Like if they are truly falling in love with Jesus, their behavior, but we don't lead with, man, you need to stop doing this, right? You need to fall in love with Jesus and show them that there is something better than what they're chasing. What they're chasing is empty and empty and empty and it's gonna lead them to a life where eventually they're gonna wake up and think, what the F did I just do? Can I say that? Can I say what the F? Uh I did a, this is recorded. Um, 
what the H did I just do? Um, right? Like it's this idea of, uh, of, of behavior modification that we need to push against. So um, yeah, I think, I think that's really good. We need heart change in people's lives. We don't have the ability to do that. Beg the Lord to bring heart change in their life. Um, and then also, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, the idea of truth and grace being a tool uh, of how to love people well and how to push them towards looking more and more like Christ. And so um, truth and grace being this idea that, man, speak into blind spots that you see. And if you see them living out things that aren't really going to produce life, right, kind of jumping from bed to bed and these shallow relationships that just keep, you know, wrecking them or wrecking others, speak into those, but speak into those with compassion and grace. And, and vulnerability, I think, yeah. is huge. If, if this is a good friend of yours, be vulnerable about your sin patterns. You're not perfect. We all have places that we struggle, and maybe that will open that friend up to actually hearing what you have to say if they know that you struggle with sin. Too. Sure. And I also think whenever you're talking about a situation like this where it's like, man, how do I speak into a friend of mine's life? I'm assuming that your friend is a believer or at least is professing like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian. Because if they're not a Christian, then we don't, I don't hold them to that same standard, right? Like if they're not, even uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 5 says, man, who are we to judge those outside, right? Like that's not, like I pray for them, I love them, I, I, but that's, I don't hold them to that standard. But if somebody says, man, I'm a follower of Christ, but their life doesn't reflect it, well, then I speak into it boldly. Um, and, uh, and for those who are outside, I just keep loving them. I just keep loving them and, and pointing them towards something that I think is better than whatever they're choosing. But if they're inside, then yeah, we, if they're inside the camp, right, inside the family, or at least they profess to be, then we call out hard sin. And man, I will tell you, that is so hard to receive. Being on the receiving end of that and also sitting in front of people. A lot of my role is sitting in front of people and trying to love them well and graciously, but point out blind spots in their life. And man, to, to do that, it's so hard for us as Christians to receive that. And we want to be like, oh, who are you to tell me this? Or how dare you judge me? Or I can do whatever I want. Or you do this. And it's so hard for us to receive, um, but it is a loving thing to do. And people might not like you after it. And people might you know, think you're the worst and you've just got to continue to love them well and do that with, with gentleness. So, yeah. okay, next question. You want to read that one? Yeah. Um, it says, I think it's a, a little different. Okay, no. Um, how do we react slash respond when in opposition to truth, personal attack, labels, cultural bias results not because of a lack of grace, but due to rejection of the truth with selective hearing or hard hearts, what does a grace-filled response look like in the face of a non-receptive defensive culture? That's a big question. I think it's a great, a great question. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tag team that question with the next two because I think, the, I think all three of these are all kind of in the same ballpark. The next question. Go ahead and throw up the next one. It says, "How do we love in the way we are learning now?" about how to love this, in this biblical way? How do we love in that way in the culture we live in? And then the next question, how do we argue for objective truth to someone who is lost if they don't think of it as objective? So I think all three of these questions, um, and there was a lot of questions you guys texted about objective truth. All three of them are the idea of, let's say we see um, something that we see is not true, right? We, we see something where there's somebody uh, in our world that is living a life that is destructive. And maybe they don't see it, right? It's a blind spot. And we go and we say, man, there's sin here, man. This is not the way God's designed this thing to work. And we want to call you out in it. And we think there's something better for you. And we're gentle and we have a good posture and we're humble and we're not like all self-righteous about it. But we're like, dude, I struggle with it. And, and we come with that approach 
and we stand in truth, and they say, forget you, man. I mean, they, they just still, even as, as gracious as we can be, meeting them halfway, really trying to be there, they still say, man, you guys are bigots, or you guys are, you don't get it, or Christians are hateful, or you guys, you know, and we still get that opposition. Uh, what do we do with that? You know, we're trying to be as gracious as possible. Sometimes it still won't work. What do we do? Uh, and I would start with that answer of saying, we, we continue to stand firm. Um, we continue to stand firm on truth. And we don't compromise truth because it might be uncomfortable for the world around us, because it might be unpopular for the world around us, because some of the positions of truth that we believe bring life and not death, actually the world around us says, that's just stupid. That's lame. That's mean. That's uh, exclusive. All of those things. But we stand firm on those things. Yeah. We definitely want to look set apart from our culture and look different from them and um, be willing to sacrifice but not compromise. Yeah. And I, you say this a lot to me when I'm worrying about um, my witness or what I'm going to say, but um, that we're not called to be effective, but we're called to be obedient. Um, and that is such a freeing thing because I might not have the right words to say or the right way of saying it, but um, just walking out obedience yeah. is the key to this. That's the only thing I can control if I'm going to try to um, talk to someone about Jesus or my faith, um, but I can't control their response. So I think obedience is key. We're, that's what we're called to be, not effective. Because we can't be effective. Only <laughs> the Lord can do that. All yeah. we can do is be obedient. Yeah. And then, like I said, again, like vulnerability is huge. Mm -hmm. um, if you're just going to these people with the facts and you're not really showing them why your faith is important to you or what God has rescued you from, mm -hmm. then it's going to be a little stale. And also, let me encourage you, you will get rejected. Like, you are guaranteed that if you are walking out the faith of Scripture in your life and the truth of Scripture in your life, you're going to get rejected. You're going to be uh, persecuted in some way at some point, or you're probably not doing it right or you're probably compromising and, and kind of taking the cowardly way out. Um, our Savior, like the, the foundation and Savior of our faith, was the most gracious, loving figure ever in Jesus Christ, and he got uh, humiliated and flogged and killed in public um, because they didn't like the truth he was saying. And so uh, you're in good company there. And, and I think that idea of, man, but what do we do if like, I can't break through that wall? I think we stand firm, we're vulnerable, we're humble about it. Uh, but we don't compromise because rejection will come. Yeah. I also think um, that we need to do a little heart check when we're having these conversations and make sure that, like you've said in these sermons, like the love of Christ is what's compelling you in these situations, that it's really ruling you and it's not um, self-righteousness or this um, ability to want to convince somebody of what's right or winning an argument. But um, remembering that, you only know this truth by the grace of God. Like you're not the smartest. You're not the one who is the best in the situation, but it's only by the grace of God that we even believe what's true. Yeah. So we have to come to it in a humble posture um, and just yeah. check our hearts when we yeah. do. And I think that's so unique for most of the other things you do in your life. Like, I probably shouldn't go down this road, but like <laughs> politics, right? <laughs> like you are, whatever political party you are, you are that political party because of a worldview that you've chosen, because you have educated yourself in certain ways. And because of that, there is a level of, 
well, I've studied this and I know this and I see this and I've, you know, and so because of that, it makes me a Republican or it makes me a Democrat because you, whereas, man, being a follower of Christ, you know, from the foundations of the world, our God has chosen us and called us out. Um, we, we don't get to take credit for it in the same sense of, well, I figured out how to be saved on my own. Like there's a level of self-righteousness that if we approach the world around us with this level of arrogance that we've got it figured out on our own, no, like it is by God's grace that I am not some crazy terrorist somewhere, right? Like it is, like it, God's grace has protected me, has, has revealed himself to me in a way that's changed my life. And I don't get to take credit for that. And so if we're going around without that level of humble posture and saying, well, man, you need to do this. And oh, you're messing around over here, man. You shouldn't do that. It's by God's grace that I'm not there. Like, why, why, why did God show me that grace and mercy to protect me from certain sins and, and all of those things? And so, uh, yeah, I just, I love that point. I think, man, we have got to walk humbly with that posture. Um, we stand firm, but we, we really have to walk super humbly. So, you want me to read the next one? Please. Okay. Next question. It says, in the context of romantic love, if love is about our level of maturity to provide steadfast love, how important is compatibility and chemistry? Good ben question. Quay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So this is the, uh, the old compatibility. Do we really need to be compatible? Uh, I am seriously considering um, starting just an arranged marriage ministry. Um, and talks with Josh about it. We're just trying to figure this out. Some logistics. Where there we have just, been one Wednesday, we just say, all right, a girl from this side and a guy from this side, <laughs> and come on down, and we marry you guys, and turn the children's ministry hall into like honeymoon suites. Is that... <laughs> this is getting this is getting wildly inappropriate. I mean, <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, uh, so many images. Anyway, uh, okay, pull it together, Fuquay. So we're not going to do that. Watch our attendance spike for the next few weeks of people like, like showing up. Is this up, week like, going to be the week? Is this the week? Uh, Are they going to call my name? <laughs> like pull a tag from the bottom of your chair? Yeah. Like whoever has. Okay. That. Anyway, no. The question is, the question is in the context of romantic love, right? Um, one of the big, uh, the crux of the argument that we've been talking about so much of biblical love is the idea that really love and loving someone else in that dynamic has more to do with you and your maturity than the object of your love. And so that's kind of what this question is touching on and, and, and I think a really a great observation about that because it really is more about am I mature enough and in a place where I understand and have received God's love in a way where I can show it to whoever I'm trying, the object of my love, as opposed to, mm, no, this thing's not worthy of my love, I'm gonna bounce and now I'm gonna, this group of friends, I just don't, they're not right for me, compatible, you know, this girl isn't right for me, so I'm gonna bounce, or this guy isn't right for me. And so instead, really the pushback of our love is, there's a much deeper picture of love biblically than that. Um, and so that's what they're saying. So it's like, well, then how does compatibility play in, like, should we just arrange marriages? How does that really work, compatibility and chemistry? So it's a complicated answer. I'm gonna try to take my, my best swing at it. Um, I think compatibility is important, right? Let it be I recorded. Agree. Yeah. I agree, I think it is, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're, Kind of compatible. Um, I think it's important. I don't think it's essential to love. I think it's important. I just don't think it's essential uh, for love. Okay. And um, and I, uh, let me let me go ahead and define too even compatibility and chemistry because when I think chemistry 
and I could be, I'm just going to let you see my cards on the table. When I hear that, I think kind of emotion sparks, that like initial chemistry that happens, kind of that, you know, the, the butterflies, the attraction, like there's sparks there. That's what I think of with chemistry. And um, so for that, I would say that's great. Um, but, but I would say chemistry isn't even something. Um, Do we have chemistry? I don't know, man. <laughs> we, okay, so, but this is a good example. Like, right? So oh, I man. love my wife and she loves me. We're 10 years, almost 10 years in April. Um, we love each other. But the reality is when I first started dating Danielle, I had butterflies constantly, right? I would say, I love you to her. And she'd say, thanks. And then I'd <laughs> weep for days. Like there was, Get over <laughs> it. <laughs> um, right? We, there was like just this buzz, right? Everything was new. Everything was mysterious about this girl. There was just this constant. And that lasted for a long time. And then even marriage, there's these new levels of that to where it's like, okay, because we, we dated for a long time and then we were engaged for a short time and then we got married for a long time so far. And, uh, <laughs> but each kind of new level of getting to experience this relationship was like, oh man, this is so new and fun and there is that chemistry, but I don't have butterflies in the same way, right? Like, <laughs> oh yeah. Um, no, I get it. And you know, like there's, there's not the still butterflies, but I would argue and I am arguing and I am testifying that that our love is way deeper than it was yeah. our first year of marriage or our second year of dating. Like the love yeah. that I have for her is way deeper, way more mature, way more impactful in my life. Um, and there is absolutely emotion here, but some of that stuff that I think, I think it's really dangerous if we have all the buzz and all the chemistry in a relationship. And, and some of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about because you've been there. And then those things start to fade because it's, they naturally fade, because the mystery starts to fade a little bit. And, and all of a sudden, the things that were cute now aren't as cute anymore. Um, and so it's like, okay, well, wait. Like, man, I used to think your bad breath was really cute, and now I just think it's bad breath, right? Um, all of those things start to just change. And then all of a sudden, we start thinking, oh, well, man, oh, wait, who's that over there, right? And whether it's a guy or a girl, it's like, okay, well, who is, who is that person? There's mystery there, and there's sparks there, and wow, that's different, and, that's ex and I get excited there. This must be love. I must have fallen out of love with this one because there's love that I found over here, and that becomes this cyclical thing that you're going to be searching for that, and that's going to end. And maybe it'll last longer in that relationship, you know, but then, or maybe just life, you know, happens, and well, we got married, and then it faded after marriage, and then, but we're, we're in the marriage, and we're stuck, and but I just think that level of chemistry, so I just want to get our definitions right, that yeah. chemistry is great. If, let me say this, if there isn't chemistry when you first start pursuing someone, like if you're dating somebody and there's not chemistry or sparks. I don't know how you ended up dating. Yeah, and I'm not, yeah. <laughs> yeah, babe, that's, that's one mean, way to say, yeah, no, that's right. Um, why did you start dating? Yeah, I, and I think, well, I mean, there's probably sparks on somebody's side, but the other right. person was like, yeah, I'm not really into it. <laughs> um, which happens in most, I mean, like, unless it ends up really good, that's usually what happens in relationships. And uh, I would say, if you were seeking wise counsel for me, and this is, this is I want to make sure this is clear, this is where I'm coming at this, I'd say, man, I, it would raise a red flag if there weren't sparks in the beginning, right? If there's not like an attraction, if it's like, man, she seems great on paper or he seems great on paper, mm -hmm. but I just don't, I'm just not a try. There's not a, then I would think, yeah, maybe, maybe it raises a flag. I don't think it's like panic mode, but I think, yeah, maybe there's some discernment behind that. Uh, so I don't throw out chemistry completely, but chemistry is not what you build a relationship on. Yeah. And if you do, that relationship is headed for a disaster. Uh, and yet that's what our culture has defined. And so what happens is we have this pendulum. I have to stand because I have to flail my arms bigger on this one. 
So we have this pendulum in our culture that has watched our, we have watched our culture and we've been oversaturated with this idea that that's what love is. That love is this buzz, right? It's the bachelor, right? It's this idea that I've got to find this perfect one and the chemistry is and the, and this is the one and this is everything. And that's what love is. And we're, and then we're just so oversaturated in it. I think one of the things that happens is we specifically, we as pastors swing so far over here that we just say, man, that is all a lie. Um, the idea of compatibility, uh, chemistry, I really do think there's a big chunk of lie there. Um, I think I can have chemistry because of something I ate, you know, like I had a burrito and then I went on a date and I confuse that as chemistry when it's really just gassiness. <laughs> but compatibility, like wisdom and compatibility and do we work together and are we compatible in our sense of humor and the things we like and the things we're passionate about and the things that make us tick and the, the wiring that God has you know, sometimes we swing so far over here and we just say, man, scrap that. Because we've seen our culture do that so badly, because we've seen our culture um, just eat that up on a constant basis. And I think that, um, that's pretty dangerous. Uh, how yeah. I articulate it best um, is that there's two different spheres, the spheres thing. Yeah. Um, Can I stop you before you please. get to this? <laughs> yes, jump in there. No, I was going to say, I think the problem, because this question is talking about in the context of romantic love, and then we're supposed to show this steadfast love. Um, I think it's getting those two things confused in a way, like that steadfast equals boring yeah. and not romantic, but yeah. I think that steadfast love is the most romantic love that there is, and that all throughout the Bible, God's love is described as steadfast. Um, most of the time in the Psalms, it's talking mm -hmm. about how his steadfast love endures forever. He loves us with a steadfast love um, all over scripture. And his love is the most epic love in our entire lives. Mm -hmm. It's the most exciting love that we have um, encountered. And so I think thinking that steadfast love is boring might mm -hmm. be something we need to switch in our minds. Yeah. But romantic love is actually the shallow love, but steadfast is actually... Yeah. Romantic. Yeah. That makes sense. Made sense to me. Okay. I'm also married to you, though, so. So everything I do mm, makes sense? It does. Because of our chemistry? Chemistry. We're highly compatible. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so um, I think that's good. I, I do think to, to, to really see, and I would want, and I think pastors, their desire is we see what the world sells us as like this just chemistry-based gush that you're looking for, and where is it? And I think we're missing out on what I talked about a few weeks ago, that like, man, I, wanna, I, want, I want the 89-year-old version of her, right? Like when we got married in our early 20s, I wanted to be committed and I want to be in love with that. I want, I want that kind of love. I want to know what that looks like. I want to be grandparent. All of those things. And I think there's a depth to that and a beauty to that that God's designed that's, that's really, really beautiful. And so, um, yeah, um, Spheres. So I think when you're evaluating, okay, so where does it fit? So, okay, great. We're not going to overemphasize compatibility, but we're also not going to completely throw it out and just do arranged marriages every day. Although I am, there's part of me that is legitimately considering that. Um, where does that work? And, and I think of it this way. I think there is a sphere of deal breakers that as a believer you should have in how you are engaging with, okay, how do I evaluate the right one in regards to romantic love? And in that sphere of deal breakers should be things like, this person loves Jesus. This person loves Jesus. 
This person um, is pursuing godliness. Uh, this person is chasing after Christ in a way that makes me want to run after Christ, wants to push me towards maturity as a believer. All of those things, those things that are steadfast, those things that when they are no longer, when neither one of you are attractive, when neither one of you have it all together, when all of that stuff has faded, um, that there is a steadfastness of their core belief and principles and who they are and they're grounded in Christ and they've been changed and all those things. Um, I think there is something that's core there in that sphere that I think everyone, certainly Christians, should say, okay, what does that look like? Like That is the deal breakers. And if they don't have that, then I'm not going elsewhere to find it. But then I think there's this other sphere around that um, that is compatibility, that I think are things like, man, are we wired in a way that challenges each other? Are we wired in a way that we have fun together? Are we wired in a way, you know, am I attracted to this person in, in some ways? Those kind of things. And I think that sphere is a lot more arbitrary uh, I think that sphere can become dangerous because we can make those the main thing. Um, but I also think those things in that sphere, the outer sphere, they're going to change, right? Like if you're into brunettes, one day, Lord willing, if this is really the romantic love the Bible talks about, and it becomes this marriage and this beautiful thing, she's not going to be a brunette. She's going to have gray hair, right? Like one day, if you're into, man, she's got a great sense of humor, well, that might not always be there, right? Like those things you know, might not always be there. Oh, she's so creative and artistic. And well, maybe one day because of what God has in her life, that's, and so those things can't become the deal breakers. Uh, and so I think you start in the core and then you say, okay, what of these things are, are really important to me and evaluate? And then you look at your own context of, man, what, what am I will, willing to, to do with? Like, oh, I always thought I was gonna marry this type of person, but you know what, this person loved Jesus and this is okay. And that's kind of in my second sphere. It's not a deal breaker, you know, what, could I get excited about that? Is that something that God is maybe going to change my preferences toward and those kind of things? I, I just think the world does it backwards. I think the world just starts with that outer sphere and it's empty in the middle. And it just looks at that and tries to build this perfect, you have like your Pinterest board with your perfect person and this is what their abs look like and this is what their, you know, eyes look like and all that kind of thing. And it's like, you're just building from the outside in and it's hollow in the middle. And so um, that's a lot. I just, we just threw up on you there. Um, I, I want you to hear that I think I think, sure, compatibility is important, but it is not essential. Uh, it's, it, I really believe it's not essential. However, I think if you look at it and say, okay, it's an outer sphere, let me rank those things, let me kind of put them in context, and also check your heart because maybe you've just got some selfishness, yeah. right? Like maybe you've got some things that you have made really important because you've been too polluted by what the world says your wife needs to look like or your husband needs to look like and they're outer sphere things and you're like, no, they've got to make this much money and they've got to you know, be in this and they've got to, and I've always projected that this would be my husband or this would be my wife and we've taken non-core issues and we've really made them core. And so I would say, check yourself also in what that looks like in saying, have you over-elevated compatibility as this deal breaker thing and which of those things are? Um, I thought something, when we were talking about this earlier, this mm -hmm. is the last thing on this question, yeah. but um, you, when we were talking about it earlier, you said um, that we're not compatible with God. Oh, like, yeah. And he bent down to yeah, us. Yeah, that's good. Um, we're not compatible that, to, yeah, you did, but I'm going to take it. <laughs> um, yeah, that's so wise. <laughs> oh, thanks. Golly. I don't know where I got it from, but, um, but we are not, like a holy God yeah. and us. Not that we just need to begrudgingly right. love someone, right. but um, just yeah. the perspective that gives Yeah, the us. love of God. Like, we are not compatible for God. I, I mean, I just think yeah. we can't get over that. Like, 
we are not this trademark. great, beautiful, trademark, a uh, few questions. Uh, <laughs> no, Jesus said that, right? Like that's the gospel. Um, we're not, and yet he still loved us and, ha- and does love us. And even still, I am not compatible. Like I'm an idiot. Like he, if, if I'm the bride and he is the groom, he married, uh, he married a schizophrenic, like I don't know what else, word. he just, uh, a two-timer, right? Two-timer. I'm a skank when it comes to God. <laughs> I constantly, I'm trying to think of the most appropriate word I can say, and skank was it. Um, Two-timer would have worked, I think. Right, like I am, spiritually, that's what I am. I'm like, oh, I love Jesus, Wednesday night. And then like Thursday morning, I'm like, ah, I just love myself. So I'm just this two-timer, and yet God continues to be steadfast. (laughs) Anywho, next question. Okay, I'll read it. (laughs) Okay, regarding the week two sermon, can Ben explain more how we can love like Christ? It seems very hard for imperfect people to actually live up to the standard of a perfect God and to love like him. So it would be helpful to have some tangible examples. Thanks. Good question. Um, I'm (laughs) going to... uh, Let me answer it real quick, and then this, I think, question connects to... Really, these next two, and then I think, I think we're going to call it there. So we're just going to answer just this is one big, broad thing. Um, uh, first off, the idea of how do we love more like Christ, it seems so hard for imperfect people to actually live up to the standard of perfect God. Man, that, you, that you're wise. Uh, that's true. Um, and we don't. We can't um, apart from Christ. Apart from Christ, John 15 you know, tells us that apart from him, we can do nothing. I, I can't love the way I'm supposed to uh, away from Christ. And let me tag these two questions in because I think we can land the plane with all these. Um, this next question, if you throw it up there, is how do we love the people? Uh, what's it say? How do we love the people that, that are is- hard to love? Yeah, friends, even strangers are easier, but what about people that have hurt us? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's a great question. And then this next one goes right along with it. And these will be our last ones. How do we love in the way we are learning, sacrificing for others as God has sacrificed for uh, us after just healing from being hurt by someone you did this with? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think all three of these questions lead to this idea of how do we do this? Yeah. Right? Like, how do we love people well? How do we love people, you know, for one, because we're imperfect and we fall way short of God's perfection, but also how do we love people that just suck? Like that have hurt us, that that um, are hard and difficult to love. What's yeah. that look like? I think we've all, we're, we can all say that we've been hurt by people who have misused the word love or actions behind their love. I think we all can relate with that question. Yeah. And I think, um, I think one thing is that we can, especially if they're not a believer and they're not filled with the Holy Spirit who is equipping them with the fruit of the spirit Mm -hmm. in order to love you well, um, then you're going to like, you're going to keep getting hurt by them and almost realizing that I know that sounds really kind of like negative and not a fun answer, but, um, we can kind of expect to keep getting hurt in a way. And I think, um, especially if they don't know the love of Christ. And I think that is a tangible way in scripture. Jesus says that we're to die to ourselves and we're to take up our cross. Um, That's actually the next verse in the Luke uh, 14 that I read earlier. Mm -hmm. Whoever does not 
bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. I think loving somebody who's hard to love or who has hurt you is a tangible way that you're taking up your cross and following Jesus. And I want to say one caveat, and then I want to land the plane on, on kind of my last thought regarding this. And one caveat is, you know, what Danielle just said, man, what an opportunity to love someone the way Christ has loved us. And, you know, even though it's, yeah, like, imperfect people are going to hurt us and we're, there, there's a vulnerability involved in, in these kind of relationships that hurt. If you are in an abusive relationship, if you are in a relationship with somebody who is systematically or even if it's a friendship or a romantic relationship that's abusive. That's um, different. It's, yeah, it is. And we had, we had talked about this earlier. That isn't um, loving for you to be able to just say, well, but Jesus, I'm the abuser to God and Jesus, you know, and God still loves me. Yes, that's true. Praise God for that. Um, but, but that isn't actually loving that person. That's enabling them to stay in their sin. Yeah. And so if you are in an abusive relationship and you're like, man, this person is just verbally abusive or physically abusive or all of those things, then, well, I just got to turn the other cheek and I got to love them the way Christ loved them. No, like, please know that you are more valuable than that, yeah. but also know that that's not actually loving. That's empowering their sin. And what they need is not grace. They need truth and they need boundaries and rejection and and all of that stuff. So, and if you are, man, come and talk to us too. We'd love to be able to walk you through something that I can't imagine how difficult that is. Um, so just a caveat for that. But to close, I want, um, I want us to hear this. And if you hear, really, if you hear anything, this is, this is what I'd want you to hear, really for the whole series. Um, how do we love people that's hard to love and how do we do this well? Uh, I talked about it a lot last week. Our foundation to love other people has to be based in how the God of the universe has loved us, the grace that he has shown us. And if our foundation is not based in that, if we leave this series or leave this room or leave kind of this whole experience and think, man, okay, I'm gonna love people better and I'm just gonna muster it up and I'm gonna have better behavior and I'm gonna be a better, a better person and a better Christian and love people well, and it's not coming from a root place of you are experiencing the love of God in a daily way that's, that's changing and transforming your heart, then you are gonna run into a wall. Maybe immediately, maybe the first time you try to love somebody and they don't reciprocate, you know, you're kind to somebody and they end up hurting you and you get, you know, you kind of get your heart broken because your foundation isn't actually built on anything that can hold you. Um, it's just built on your own security and your own grit your teeth and love people. Um, you, if you hear anything, if you hear anything, I want you to hear the God of the universe loves you. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. We are broken and yet for some crazy reason, the God of the universe stepped into history, kicked in the doors of history in the person and work of Jesus Christ and hung on a cross and died because all of our brokenness and all of our disobedience had to be dealt with. Because the truth is, the truth is, it, it, we aren't compatible with God because of all of our crap, because of the fact that I am this person that I am and my default is this sin that I am. I don't deserve to stand before a holy God. And yet that holy God said, I know you don't. That's the truth. But the grace is Jesus Christ. I'm a sin Christ, and you put your faith in Christ, and, and you are mine, and I am yours. And, but wait, but my obedience, I'm still misbehaving, I'm still this and that. Yeah, but you are mine. If you put your faith and surrender to Christ, love me and experience my love, then we are, then you are my son, then you are my daughter, then I love you as you are right now. But I also love you enough to call you out of those things. And sometimes it takes years and decades, but calls you to a better better and better life. Um, but we have got to understand how we're loved. And if we don't, uh, I think last week I, I talked about just this idea that the, the depth at which we understand 
how we're loved by the God of the universe through Jesus Christ is going to be the ceiling for how we're able to love other people. Um, and so, man, if you are in this room and anywhere in that, that, that should hit all of us in a place to say, I need to understand his love more. I need to, and maybe you're in the place where it's like, man, I thought I've been frustrated. I've been angry at God. I don't even believe in God. I'm, uh, you know, anywhere on that side of the spectrum, man, my hope and prayer is that the Holy Spirit tonight, right, which is going to sound so freaking bizarre to you. I get that. But the Holy Spirit is going to start poking your heart and saying, there is something better. Because even if you haven't experienced that better thing, I think you've experienced other things and they have left you wanting. And out of love and compassion for you, let you, maybe this is the only time you ever walk into this room, but hear me say this night that God has something better for you. And it's not a coincidence you came tonight. And God might be saying, hey, you've been chasing and running and looking for something. I am that something. Not doing these things, but I am that something. Stop chasing these other things. And then somebody else who's, man, for my heart, right? My wicked heart, that I need to realize more and more how God loves me and be moved by it and be stirred by it and be changed by it. And that is the only way I'm going to be able to love my wife the way I'm called to. It's the only way I'm gonna be able to love my friends and love the people around me and love the people who don't like me. And there's plenty of them, right? The only way I can love those people is not by just being a good person. It's by understanding how much I'm loved and being connected to that. Um, we pray for us? God, you are so worthy of our affection um, and our attention, our hearts and our minds. Um, God, would you convict hearts tonight um, who might be wandering and um, meddling in patterns of sin, would you be gracious to show up and be merciful um, to them? And would they respond to your love in um, a life-changing way? Lord, and I pray that you would um, capture hearts tonight that um, may not know your love, but may just be experiencing uh, the first taste of it, the first taste of the grace that you have for us. Um, would you give those hearts in this room boldness to follow you um, and to cling to you for life? I thank you that, like we sang earlier, because of your love, we live. We have life and life abundantly. Um, we're humbled by it, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.